who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 31 The Way to Weathertop By half-past eight, Mariana and John were checked out of the inn and back on the main road, headed west toward a line of low mountains on the horizon. A front had come through after midnight, sweeping the sky clean and leaving the day bright and clear. The trees bent low over the road, their leaves still heavy with the overnight rain. John had put the corvette's semi-rigid top down, so they drove, drinking in the lush scents and melodious bird calls of a hill-country summer morning. Mariana stretched sensually. On a day like this, all things seemed possible. Mycroft would furnish whatever key John needed to solve the mystery of Antipode. Crom would crush Grecian's nefarious schemes. She and John would... God, she felt good. jet lag. John, and a not exactly restful night, had left Mariana in a fay and frisky mood. She stroked the back of John's neck, ran a finger along the line of his jaw. All the while, Route 421's two-lane blacktop was winding through somnolent Piedmont Forest on its way into the foothills of the Blue Ridge. She leaned over to run the tip of her tongue around the rim of his ear. Now, she breathed, tell me what you've got this Mycroft guy working on. Yuri Vissarionovich Geladze was not a happy camper this fine midsummer morning, not happy with having spent the night in transit, nor with the mission objective, return them, both of them. Together with the rest of his strike team, Yuri had been left to cool his heels in the lobby of the main GEI Systems Research Building. He looked out on the green, sun-streaked lawns of Grecian International's Raleigh-Durham campus and subjected them to a withering glower. His yawn spoiled the effect. Yuri stood and stretched, still stiff from over eleven hours in transit. Departure at three-thirty in the morning, Azor's time. Nearly three hours on the helicopter just to get to Horta. Then another eight-hour flight on the GEI corporate jet. 
shouldn't have taken more than six, six and a half to cross the Atlantic, but the pilot had had to deviate far to the south, into the Gulf of Mexico, there to enter the old Calle Corridor, the air route long favored by Colombian cocaine runners for its spotty radar coverage and corruptible Floridian officialdom. Finally, touching down on the private airstrip at 10 a.m. local, he'd managed to snatch no more than two, three hours' sleep in all that time. And his cast was itching again, devil take it. Yuri glared at the timestamp over the reception desk. Half past ten already. What the devil was keeping Bondarenko? He had disappeared shortly after they'd arrived, off seeing about something he called a denial-of-service attack. Something to do with technology. How was it possible even to speak of technology in the same breath as attack? Technology was for men who kept their consciences as clean as their fingernails. When technology reached the point where men ceased to die from a bullet through the brain, then it might be time to take notice. Attack, on the other hand, now that was something Yuri knew something about. Yuri did not much care for abstractions. He thought not about attacks in general, but about one attack in particular, the attack they would be launching within the hour. And even thinking about that attack, he did not picture the overall evolution of action and counteraction. Instead, he focused on one moment in the ebb and flow of the battle to come. The cast was driving him mad. If he only had something, some sort of implement that he could slip beneath its polyurethane fiberglass to scratch this ferocious itch, even a pencil might do. He scanned the empty antiseptic lobby again. Nothing. Yuri grimaced and returned to his contemplation of that single, anticipated instant, the moment he and Mariana Peterson met once again. There was an itch he could scratch. He frowned. That was the problem with the mission parameters. What would happen once he had that bitch in his crosshairs was not covered by his instructions. Not at all. Quite the contrary, Grecian had expressly ordered him to return the woman to Rusalka alive and unharmed. There had followed a long-winded explanation from Bandarenko as to why they needed her and her companion back aboard before the final phase could begin. Yuri had only half-listened. Much too complicated. He preferred things simple. This was going to be simple. In the confusion of the action, an opportunity would no doubt present itself. If not, Yuri would create one. Either way, the bitch would die, and by his hand. This would make trouble, Yuri foresaw. But perhaps not so much trouble. Bandarenko would still have the other one, the man, for whatever scheme the devious little weasel was concocting. And once Peterson was dead, Grecian would put it behind him. Too much else going on to waste time crying over one dead woman and a spy at that. For the first time that sunny August morning, Yuri smiled. No, this would not make much trouble at all. The scrub woods of the Piedmont lay behind them now. The air had turned cooler as the vet climbed through transition forest toward the higher elevations. Still plenty of oak and hickory and tulip trees, but increasingly interspersed with groves of northern hardwoods and the occasional stand of spruce or fir. Knox was beginning to regret having shared his hunch with Mariana. That's it, she was saying. 
I flew us all the way out here for this, this Tunguska thingy? He downshifted as the Corvette hairpinned into yet another of the Blue Ridge Highway's countless switchbacks. I warned you it was a crazy idea. There's crazy and there's crazy, John. This is just plain bonkers. Why would Grecian give a damn about a hundred-year-old meteor strike? Why would anyone? Knox sighed. You're not listening. It wasn't a meteor. It was something else. I am listening. I'm not hearing anything worth listening to. If it wasn't a meteor, what was it? Well, there's no dearth of theories. A comet, a hunk of antimatter, reactor meltdown in a nuclear-powered starship, the list goes on and on. Starship? As in, like, extraterrestrials? Knox nodded. Would have had to have been. Humanity barely had heavier-than-air flight back in 1908, much less space travel. Grom doesn't do aliens. You want the FBI. And I wasn't asking what everybody else thought it was. You tell me what you think it was. Let's leave that till we're there. Not much further now. The dashboard GPS showed they were approaching the turnoff. He slowed and eased them in through the break in the guardrail, past the keep-out sign, down a brief stretch of blacktop so overgrown that branches screeched against the car's sides. Then they were bumping along on dirt track, paralleling a deep gorge, being cut ever deeper by a tumultuous mountain stream. Their way led through sunlight and shadow, cast by tattered wisps of clouds grazing the mountaintop, at times almost whiting out the blue of the sky. Blowing in around the windshield, the misty air was redolent of bee balm and the summer's last Catawba rhododendrons. Mariana broke the silence. So he's really got a photographic memory? Mycroft? You bet. Why else do you think he moved way the hell out here? He pointed across the gorge and up. Through intermittent gaps in the leaf cover, the dark shape of Mycroft's domain could be glimpsed, wreathed in pale tendrils of fog. It's very beautiful, John. I suppose. But it's not the scenery that does it for Mycroft. It's, well, things change slowly up here on the Blue Ridge. Some of these little off-road towns aren't much different from the way they were back before the turn of the last century. So, less change, less stimulation, means less new stuff to remember? Basically, he's afraid too much trivia and he'll overload his indexing capacity. When he worked out of the head office, people were always giving him stuff to read, just so they could call it up later. He was getting to be sort of this informational dumping ground. Nowadays, he only gets assigned to special projects. Like this wild goose chase? Uh-huh, he said, not really listening. He was looking up again. Weathertop was built on what the locals called a bald, one of those grassy summits peculiar to the southern Blue Ridge. Balds are named because, to the bafflement of botanists, no trees will grow in them. In result, Weathertop enjoyed an unobstructed 360-degree panorama. Maybe Mycroft was a closet scenery buff, after all. Almost there, just around one last bend. Knox had only visited here once before, in the five years of Mycroft's self-imposed exile, but it was all coming back. Now, roll to a halt in front of the crossing gate. Mariana laughed. 
You've got to be kidding me. I thought that business about not lowering the drawbridge till ten in the morning was just a figure of speech. Ten-thirty, Knox corrected, peering through the haze to where the steel-framed drawbridge stood, still raised on the other side of the gorge. And, no, metaphors are risky business where Mycroft is concerned. Too many of them turn out to be true. Hop out of the car now and stand still for the scan. The mists that gave the Blue Mountains their pastel hues and their name seemed to cling especially close around Weathertop's carriage entrance. Knox watched a shadow separate itself from swirling billows of particulate fog and move toward the car. Jonathan, welcome. Mycroft's voice echoed off walls faced with dripping cedar shakes. And this must be the special client who summons us to duty at the crack of dawn. Little more than a shape in the mist, but it sounded like Mycroft. Knox looked closer. Uh-huh. He could just make out the pattern of the ornately carved front doors showing through the silhouette's chest. He raised his voice. Cut the crap, Mycroft. Turn off the doorman and let us in. The figure abruptly vanished. Full-time, real-motion hologram, he explained to his startled Mariana. He's got a fog generator built into the entryway, see? That's for times like now, when the real thing isn't thick enough to sustain a solid-looking projection. Too weird. She was still staring at the spot where the image had been. What's it for? Oh, stray backwoodsmen, lost hunters, other folks he'd rather not deal with in person. Shouldn't include us, not today. He pounded on the heavy door. Hey, Mycroft, open up. With a muted hum, the door swung open to reveal Weathertop's post-and-beam great room. Oaken timbers, reclaimed from the ruins of some antebellum mill, played counterpoint to a late-model plasma screen monitor occupying half of one wall. The whole front of the room was window doors, giving out on a broad expanse of cedar deck. Beyond its parapets, range after range of hazy blue-green mountains gradually blended into the azure of the sky. The vista was dominated by the 6,000-foot crags of Grandfather Mountain, twelve miles away to the southwest. Their host, the flesh-and-blood person this time, not a holographic image, was still seated at his console, resetting the wards he'd lifted long enough to allow them entry. That done, he rose and walked toward them. Knox noted with relief that Mycroft had dressed for the occasion, which is to say he had dressed, period. In place of the usual ratty old bathrobe, his gaunt frame was decked out in jeans and a threadbare L.L. Bean workshirt. The gleam of a smile flickered in Mycroft's dark face, but couldn't dispel the impression of fatigue, and of something else. Mycroft got to within maybe ten feet of his guests and ground to a halt. His eyes darted around the room, looking everywhere except at Mariana, finally coming to rest on Knox's face. That tentative smile again, followed by a release of breath shaped into a greeting. Jonathan. Hello. Knox closed the distance remaining between them and clasped his friend's hand. He was surprised to feel it trembling. Mycroft, you okay? Mycroft swallowed. I must apologize, Jonathan. I don't entertain many visitors these days. I had no idea it would induce such a reaction. Please bear with me. I'll be all right in a moment. Sure, sure you will. Just 
Take it easy, okay? Knox felt a tug on his arm. Oh, right, the formalities. Mariana, I'd like you to meet... No, no, not now, she whispered. We've got to move outside his critical radius first. Knox stared at her a moment. Then he placed it. Critical radius was a measure of how close one wild animal could approach another without triggering a fight-or-flight reaction. It varied from species to species. By the way she was eyeing the couch on the other side of the great room, Mariana had pegged the safe distance for Homo sapiens mycrofti at six or seven yards out. Whoa, he said. Trust Mariana to conceptualize every situation in terms of attack and defense, but she didn't know Mycroft. Hold on a minute. For Mycroft had adopted a familiar stance, head inclined, eyes closed, a thumb and forefinger pinching the bridge of his nose. After a few moments, Knox asked, Better? Mycroft opened his eyes, expelled a breath and nodded, more or less back to normal, or what passed for normal, given an IQ in the 180s. Mariana? Knox picked up where he'd left off. I'd like to have you meet Finley Lawrence, Archon's senior vice president for intractables, adding, don't ask, under his breath. He turned to Mycroft. Finley, this is Mariana Bonaventure, deputy director of CROM Reacquisition. He didn't bother expanding acronyms or organizational affiliations. That had all been in last night's encrypted email. Pleasure to meet you, Dr. Lawrence, Mariana said, her voice low and soft, her eyes directed downward at the wide plank flooring, very non-threatening. She needn't have bothered. Mycroft shook himself, walked up to her, and held out his hand. Call me Mycroft, please, my dear. Everybody does. Mariana, she said, taking the hand gingerly, as though mistrustful of this sudden transformation. I'd never forget a face, Mariana. Mycroft said, releasing her with what looked like reluctance. But I will take special pleasure in remembering yours. Knox choked on a laugh. He'd never seen Mycroft's courtly side before. Thank you, uh, Mycroft, Mariana said. Are you sure you're all right now? Much better, thank you. A little concentration works wonders to lower the pulse rate. If the mind is calm, the body must follow. Enough so, at least, that I can properly welcome you to Weathertop. A sweep of Mycroft's arm took in the house and the panorama beyond. A name perhaps more than usually appropriate under the circumstances. Lord of the Rings, Mariana picked up without missing a beat. The mountain where battle was first joined against the forces of darkness. Though this feels more like the refuge at Rivendell. Two Tolkien references were about Knox's limit. Speaking of the forces of darkness, Mycroft, were you able to confirm? Yes, yes, Jonathan. Mycroft sounded peeved at the interruption. You'll be pleased to know your guess was dead on, as usual. So there is a connection between Galena's Tunguska toast and Sasha's old obsession? It took some digging, but yes. A connection called the Jackson-Ryan Hypothesis fallen into disrepute these past thirty-odd years. No one ever followed up on it. Almost no one, I should say. What's the Jackson-Ryan hypothesis? Mariana wanted to know. It's this, Mariana. Right here. 
Mycroft crossed to his console and spoke a command. Unless I very much miss my guess, there's your... How do you pronounce it, Jonathan? Vortilak. The wall-filling plasma screen now held a close-up of a single page from the British journal Nature, dated September 14, 1973. A headline had been circled in red. Was the Tungus event due to a black hole? Oh, now wait a minute. Mariana shot Knox a hard look. A black hole? I wish for all our sakes it were not, Mycroft said. As it happens, there is proof of a sort. Proof? All in good time. There's someone you need to meet first. Mycroft turned to his console again, spoke into its mic. Lestrade, Link Tomsk 1. A video conference window popped open on the screen. In it, there appeared a man's face. A homely, smiling face. The man smiled and tipped what looked like a cowboy hat. Mr. Knox, Ms. Bonaventure, pleasure to meet you. My name's Jack Adler. Listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.